So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Um, a warning straight off the bat this week. If you are listening to this out of communal workplace speakers, uh, if you've got your office set up via a Bluetooth connection or something, uh, don't. <laughs> Turn this episode off now. I'm saying that because I mean, not particularly that we're a especially safe for work enterprise anyway, uh, but I do feel that this episode, although it kicks off with the zeitgeist, Ollie Pitt, squeaky clean as ever, This episode does get quite mucky. Uh, The feature interview, fascinating, by the way, absolutely fascinating, but it is an interview with a stripper about her line of work in which she talks very frankly uh, and uses the C word twice. Um, (laughs) And then Alex Fox at the end uh, this week uh, is talking about quite an extreme fetish. So there you are, you have been warned. I say this advisedly, I'm I'm the person who, who once completely accidentally managed to email an entire office full of co-workers uh, a link to a viral video about two girls one cup it wasn't even the original video it was just a video about it but I still had to live with the consequences of that I was trying to send it to my mate up the hall so you know take it from me uh, don't play this out communally uh, therefore if you're still listening I'm imagining after that warning uh, that you are listening through headphones so ooh, this is intimate isn't it hello uh, this seems an appropriate way to say big, big thank you to all the week's sexy providers of beer. Mmm. Uh, I'll, I'll stop doing this now. Uh, but big thank you to Mike, to Jack, to Colin, Rob, Richard, Mr. Swinton, very formal, uh, and Leo. You guys are champions. You are the people keeping us afloat. If you support this show, if you like this show, if you know the kind of you know the kind of thing we're doing now. If you like this show uh, and you want to keep it going, you want to support independent podcasting generally. Do what those magnificent people have done and send us some beer money. Um, if you're the kind of person who would buy a monthly magazine, you know, a GQ, an Esquire, a Vogue. If you're that kind of person, then why not spend a similar amount? on us, on this audio magazine for your ears. Uh, Just visit modernman.co.uk and click Beer Money. Uh, Thank you very much. Coming up on this week's show, you are going to learn whether strippers prefer performing to Christmas parties or stag do's. Uh, You'll find out which airline was foolish enough to employ Ollie Peart, and you'll discover why anyone on earth might voluntarily cut off the blood supply to their brain. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. Go to Primark, buy like a bra for a fiver and stick crystals on it, tassels and glitter and, you know, you've got yourself a fantastic outfit. Lap dancing, extortion and solidarity. Life as a stripper in London. Five, four, three, two, one... 
and Alex dominates the discourse about intercourse in the foxhole. But first, it's time for our weekly whirlwind tour through the trends of the season. It is the zeitgeist, uh, with the man that listener Jim in Loughborough says laughs like a small girl being tortured, Ollie Peart. Well, let's open with how does he know what a small girl being tortured sounds like? (laughs) That is a great slam back. Yeah. Uh, What are your trends of the week? Festivals. Now is the time that you see all these big pullouts in the magazines and newspapers telling you, it's summer, it's festival time. I feel when I read those supplements that they clearly exist so that the big concert promoters can take out big colour ads for their festival. Oh, yeah, they're just ads. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I kind of question, you know, whether it's actually really a review of the festivals you should or would go to or whether they're just selling advertising space. So I want you, Ollie Peart, to tell me what is the music festival I should be going to this summer. Well, let's start with the big ones. Right. Download Festival. At yeah. Donington Park. So headlining at, at, at Donington is Ramstein, Black Sabbath, and Iron Maiden. All my favourites. Are they? No. I would go to a rockish festival. That's like the worst <laughs> festival in the world. Welcome to Rockish Festival. I don't... Where nothing gets too out of hand. Yeah. Next one you should go to, Green Man Festival. Scenically yeah. very beautiful. Wales. Brecon Beacons. Yes. And headlining this year are Bell and Sebastian, James Blake and Laura Marley. That's so, quite good. I'll tell you what's good about that lineup as well. Mm. If you want to get to the front, you're going to have no problem elbowing out those fans. If you were to go and see, for example, weird to mention Justin Timberlake two weeks running, but there you go, he's coming to my head. Mm. Uh, if you were to go and see a big pop act like that, you're going to have to wait six hours to get to the front, right? Yeah. Not, but- the, not the case with Wimp Indy, my favourite genre. You can go and get a beer. Once they've started, just walk right up to the front. <laughs> Wimp Indy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And the next one, of course. Yes. The big one. Glastonbury. Glastonbury. Right, yes. Yeah. Really, when you're talking festivals, I mean, Glastonbury is the absolute king, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I've never been, but I want to go. It's on like... You've never the, been? Well, no, it's on the, but it's on the list, isn't it? It's the, the hundred things you've got to do before you die. Go to Glastonbury Festival. Yeah, but you're already too old. I mean, well, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, no, I'm not. Don't make that <laughs> borderline offensive face at me. No, but I'm not, obviously not too old. I'm 30. Like, the average age of people at Glastonbury has got to be, what, 47 Yeah, and that's a half. right. But that's because they're mostly hippies that have been going for 40 years and continued to go. Mm. If you've never been until you get to the stage where you're at now, where you may be having the early signs of arthritis, you've left it too late. It's, it, this is my opinion, right? The, oh, and yeah. I, the reason I say this, and I've been about six times, uh, is if you are, I was going to say unlucky enough, but actually just representatively statistically likely enough to go in a year where it pisses with rain and there's mud everywhere i'd say once you're past the age of 30 you just can't be asked you just can't be asked to walk for people don't believe you when you tell them but it takes about three hours when there's mud everywhere between the two main stages all festivals are like that no glastonbury is unrelenting but the likelihood of me actually going is pretty slim because the record time for ticket sales uh selling out has been broken every year since 2011 Mm. That, and so I do try and get tickets. Oh, did you try I, this year? Uh, yeah, we tried this year, but no. Did you try no avail. any particular like technological hack? Because well, some no. people say go to a, like a rural area with bad broadband, bizarrely, you're more likely to get a ticket. Why? I don't know why. I don't know whether fewer people in those areas are trying to go to Glastonbury demographically uh, or whether they try and share out the bandwidth. Don't know. That sounds really weird. I yeah. might try it, though. It's a top tip. And headlining this year, Adele, Coldplay and Muse. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's headlining at Glastonbury, though. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Because there's about I was a thousand looking... people on. But if you want some smaller festivals, which are... Cheaper. Cheaper, less more muddy. affordable, less yeah. muddy, you should check out Masked Ball in Porth Leven in Cornwall. Have you ever been there? Yeah, already unkeen. I like Cornwall. Why are you unkeen? Because it suggests you actually have to turn up in a mask. Is that true? No. Okay, fine. 
Miss Dynamite's playing. Basement Jacks, Groove Armada, See, all in Port Levin, which is a beautiful place. Yeah, but that lovely. is a lineup from like twenty years ago, isn't it? Mm. There's that one in America, isn't there? This year, is it Coachella? Or Coachella, something? yeah. Which has got like the average age of a performer there is about ninety six. And they're calling it like the farewell tour, aren't they, or whatever? So like you'll never see them again yeah. because we had loads of because celebrity deaths. Because they're nearly deaths. dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, you better go and see them because they're going to be dead soon. I mean, I hope they're not, but. Uh... You know, I'm sure that will be very be reassuring for mm. Paul McCartney. Actually, I saw Paul McCartney at Glastonbury, and he was amazing. I don't care what people say about Macca. I know he's naff. He was ace. Can I throw in a little uh, factoid about Paul McCartney? Yeah, pff, well, I'll be the judge. I mean, try, and I, if it's shit, we'll let it out. I met him once, right? Okay, I'm interested, actually. Go on. Yeah. I used to work at British Airways many years ago. Did you? Yeah, and there was... Um, We've never discussed that on the show. Is it interesting? I think it's in my top five things you've ever said about yourself. Biographically, it's no. I once auditioned to be the Monkey Bar Kid, but it's up there. Go it's, on. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I was boarding a flight to New York, and he was getting on this flight. So. You were there just as a perk? No, I was there boarding him. Oh, as in you were? So you you weren't going to fly? You were boarding other people? I was boarding other people, and right. he was one of those okay. people. Right. And uh, he flies forgot- first, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Of course he does. Right. Um, but I forgot to give him the little uh, the stubby oh, yeah. bit, right? Uh-huh. So I was like, oh shit. I haven't given Sir Paul his bit of boarding card. You should have so kept I, that and eBayed it. No, but then I ran down the jetty yeah. shouting, Sir Paul! Sir Paul! <laughs> like this. And he turned around and he's like, what? Like that. And I was like, I forgot to give you this. I mean, he would have got on anyway. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even ask him which seat he's in. I'd just escort him straight to 1A. He was probably grateful you didn't do a wings pun. Okay, truck fest. I'm guessing if the mask ball, you don't need a mask, then truck fest, you don't need a truck. Don't need a truck. It's in Oxfordshire. And the yeah. lineup's like Manic Street Preachers, everything, everything. I like everything, everything. Yeah, and it just sounds really good. It just sounds like really, really chilled out, and it's not expensive. What are your other trends of the week? Festival fashion. Right. Okay. Are all of your trends going to be festival-based? Yeah. Are you I've... trying to blag into a festival? Is that what you're using this slot for this week? I mean, that would be nice. Right. Yeah, festival fashion. Isn't that, again, just an article that they put in magazines so that they can shill wellies with like you know emma bridgewater's done a squiggle on well exactly and i've been looking into it a bit and it's all just bullshit right but the two big fashion trends i've got one for women yes one for men okay so women it's all about fringe arms you know what fringe arms are i don't know so it's like cowboy-y type tassels on your shirt oh yeah yeah yeah. so it all goes down the dangly there. things yeah. yeah the dangly uh-huh. stuff yeah and it's attributed to this boho Fashion, bohemian fashion style. I think tassels, you know, yes to country to country, probably mm. no to Ozfest. Yeah, you know, well, choose quite. your festival wisely. Yeah, Ozfest just goth up. Yeah, it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. For men, it's all about tie dye. No, it's not. But why? Because obviously that's a fashion trend from the late sixties. Well, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because tie dye's sort of always been around in festival circuits, hasn't it? Exactly. But it's always so there. You but... couldn't say this year is all about tie dye. Well, it is. That's saying it... this year it's all about music. No, no. It's this just... year they'll be selling beer. No, because tie dye traditionally is like uber psychedelic. So like the colours are just really in your face. Oh, it's about subtle tie dye, is it? Subtle tie dye. Is it really? Well, yeah. Monochrome tie dye. They're just much more sort of muted tones. I quite like it. I was a bit like, I quite like that. I'd wear that. Okay, I'll tell you why I don't like that. It's because I have actually some respect for the people who, I mean, it's weird, but the people who are still hippies and have continued to be hippies since 1969 have continued to wear that stuff and sell that stuff at festivals. Even in the 80s. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) I sort of admire that. Because I think, well, that is a commitment to a lifestyle. It's kind of like Vivian Westwood kind of taking punk and turning it into a designer label, isn't it? Like, on the one hand, you just kind of think, like, you've got a monochrome tie You can't say, oh, I quite like the look of this, but I'm going to get it from New Look. No, 
tie-dye is all about buying it from a crusty hippie and looking the same as they did 50 years ago. Or making it yourself. Yeah, all right. That's all right, yeah. Uh, what else are your uh, festival trends then? Food. My first festival experience was Reading Festival. And yeah, everyone's my, is. Yeah. Did you have a friend that was so sick on vodka that they passed out in a ditch and they nearly died? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that and happened. did you think it was funny because you were a teenager? I laughed yeah. heartily. And yet, yeah. you know, if you went now, you'd genuinely be concerned and call St John's Ambulance, wouldn't you? Yeah, and yeah. I'd never go to Reading Festival either. No, no, yeah, no. Nothing against it, but no. it's it's like, yeah, done well, that. When you say nothing your... against it, I wouldn't want to be in a portaloo that was turned over and set on fire by Marilyn Manson. <laughs> so I do have something against it. Well, that does happen every <laughs> I'd go. Year. I'd go VIP. I'd go backstage. I'd go as novelty guest of Limp Biscuit. That'd be all right. Yeah, but where the food's good. Yeah. But my experience of food there was 99p Tesco value apple tart. Yeah, right? things have changed. Yeah. And now it's mad, like the food that you can get. So yeah. I thought I would uh, do some faux research and find out three of the best stalls that you should look out for that are going to be doing the festival circuit this year. Love it. I got all of these from Esquire magazine. And uh, like they seem to know what they're talking about. They probably go to a lot of festivals. You ready? Yeah. Anna May's mac and cheese. I've had that. Oh my god! I've had Is that. it good? Yes, it's amazing. I had it at the V Festival, and I had it. I was backstage, and I did puke <laughs> for the first time in a decade. <laughs> Uh, because the night before I'd drunk too much. I think I talked about this in the whiskey episode of The Modern Man, if right. you'd like to go back to that. Uh, but anyway, the morning after being horrendously sick on whiskey, uh, the only thing I could digest was macaroni cheese. And it was, uh, I can still taste it now. It, it lined my stomach joyously. So did you have the classic Annie Mac then? I think I did, yeah. Yeah, because what they, they also do the Kanye Western which is uh, mac and cheese with a beef hot dog, crispy onions and barbecue Yeah, sauce. it's really good. If you can find that... Then go and visit that one. Uh, the next one, which sounds really interesting, is Smokestack. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I'm guessing, you know, pulled pork and crispy things. Yeah, pretty much. But their smoker is a four and a half ton huge thing that looks like a train. I mean, it's amazing. It's a festival. You've got to serve a lot of people. It, it looks incredible. Yeah. And the food looks stunning. So you can get, like, basically ribs. It's just ribs and pulled pork. So if, if that's what you want. And yet they have the ability to do smoked salmon and they ignore it time after time. <laughs> yeah. When is the festival going to come along <laughs> offering a whole salmon for a tenner? They should do that. That's what I Why want. Why don't they do that? Yeah. Maybe because the next people are worth uh, looking out for as well. Oh, the yes. fabulous yes. fish finger company. Wow. Posh fish fingers. Posh fish fingers. Where's the four pound fish finger sandwich? That's yeah. the only thing I'm a bit concerned about. It's all, it's all moved a bit posh and yeah. all that but that's because people are getting so sick of all the crap food no you're in it's a f- because they're old it's because they're going to watch the Manic Street Preachers as we discussed <laughs> so they're in their 40s and they've spent 200 quid so they can afford an 8 pound fish finger sandwich mm. which what? well you know and don't get me wrong I'm in that category fine I'm there I'm just saying I feel a bit sorry for well yeah we need I'm- to gentrify everything that's all I'm saying well, it's nice. It makes the experience nicer. Well, it's nice. That's what you say to everyone <laughs> that can't afford to go to music festivals anymore. Can't afford it because the fish finger sandwich is £8.50. <laughs> anyway. I'd go otherwise. I'm sure it's a delicious fish finger sandwich. Yeah, you can get uh, the Moby Dick is their most popular one there. Nice. Can I make a suggestion as well? Uh-huh. With all three of those, if you come across them, yeah. I want people to say that they heard it on here and to ask for a discount. <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't arranged that with them. So? Right. I think that, you know, we've done them a solid by mentioning them. Yes. And also, like, you know, let's face it, uh, right. festival food's overpriced, isn't it? Okay. So, right. So, okay. So if you go up to any of those three festival food dispensaries and mm-hmm. say, I'm a modern man listener, 
can I have my discount? Yeah. Get back to us and let us know what happens. Yeah. At the modern man on Twitter. Yes, please. I want to know. Hey, Ollie, you're my headline act. Oh, there you are. that's really nice. Yeah. It's oh. not true, obviously. I mean, if anything, you're the opener, aren't you? Oh. This is 2pm on the other stage. On the roadie. Yeah, exactly. Bye. Bye. Now, how often have you been to a strip club? Uh, if you're like me, then as infrequently as possible is the answer. Only on stag do's and only under intense pressure and the whole time thinking, I'm not really drunk enough for this and that is somebody's daughter. Uh, nonetheless, that is still probably a few times a year and you've probably wondered as I have, how should I behave? How does one behave as a gentleman in this so-called gentleman's establishment. Well, I asked someone who knows, a lady called Edie, uh, a stripper of decades standing. In the UK, she's worked in pretty much all of the East End pubs, uh, having started her career at strip bars whilst living in the USA. Uh, She had, as she told me, intended to take up a more conventional career upon her return home. I came to Britain and I got a normal job and... um As you know, in London, normal job doesn't really pay the bills. (laughs) So I went for an audition at some of the big clubs. Didn't really like them. I was very used to the American model, which is very respectful. You know, when we came off the stage in America, there was a security guard with gloves who would escort us off the stage. Mm. And people would go and clear up your money. And, like, they served food in these big clubs as well. So you got fed and it was proper, good quality food and you were treated really well. And then in comparison to Britain, it was like, hmm, I don't think I'll be working here. And what, why? What's different here? There's the, you, you, it's interesting to use the word respect. Because in America, you, if you make money, that's seen as a good thing. They have a tipping culture. You know, if you're making money and you're getting on in the world, it's respected. Britain is a lot more prudish and puritanical, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, it went through a phase where it wasn't. Like, the noughties were quite fun for a bit. (laughs) Um, But it's kind of drawing back into this puritanical way now, unfortunately. And now you work as well with a collective. Uh, Tell me about that. We started to get political 2010 when they tried to close down all the clubs in the East End. You know, we found ourselves, like, speaking to MPs, speaking at debates. And we've also started doing this thing, because in Britain, you've got a problem with the currency. In America, people are like, make it rain, dollars. But we have pound coins. Like, you don't want anyone chucking a handful of pound coins at you. Painful. So, you know, then it takes it up to five pounds, and people get a little bit more kind of like, oh, I don't really know if I want to part with such a high denomination. Mm. So we now make funny money. So we do like pink dollars and sell them for a pound each, Mm -hmm. sell them on the door. We have someone going around selling them. And once you've broken the connection, it's not as bits of paper. It's not Mm. sterling. Mm. So you kind of break that link Mm. and people make it rain. British people get crazy and make it rain like (laughs) they're Americans. It's amazing. (laughs) In the East End, they allow for drug collections. This is a licensing rule from the councils so you will it's it's kind of more of a fair exchange if you go around with your jug the guys put a pound or more in your jug Mm -hmm. and then you go on stage and you perform for them so you're being paid and they get a performance Mm. the audience gets a performance it feels like a fair exchange 
But in Westminster, Westminster Council say jug collections are degrading to women, but you still have to dance just for free. Right. Apparently that's not degrading to (laughs) do it for free. Um, And you can tip, but most people don't realise that. So they just sit there and watch a free show and it's like, come on. I have paid a stage fee to come in here. That that didn't occur to Put me. Put a tip on the because stage. Because then you paid 20 quid to get in or something. Yes. And then you pay a tenner for a Bacardi and Coke. So you sort of assume as the punter that that is paying for the basic level and that you, you pay do. for the extra experiences. And then a private dance will be an extra yeah. thing. But yeah, but that's but not no, the case. No. Strippers not getting paid. No, strippers have to pay to work. That is useful information. And okay. at some places... So no, it's... you've given me a thing. So if I want to feel responsible, yes. <laughs> I should give, give her money, even <laughs> if I don't necessarily want to watch it. And then people sit there and go, oh no, she did a very good show. And it's like... Well, would you do a really good show for no money? Yeah, that's interesting. Would you put any effort into it if consistently throughout the night the same guys had sat there nursing a pint for hours like, and not paying? Mm. Would you feel motivated to go up and actually do a proper show? Whereas if people are tipping you, you're like, yay, this is great. I've paid my stage fee back now. Excellent. It's all about the hustle. It's all about private dances. It's all about VIPs, which is kind of just like extortion. A VIP? What's that? What's that in this context? Uh, You have to hustle the guy into the VIP booth, which is basically half an hour. It varies from club to club, but generally you get them to buy champagne as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's extortion of the client, not of the stripper. Oh, it's extortion of the client, absolutely. So just to be clear, most clubs then, when you go uh, as a dancer, the difference between the private dance and the VIP is that you're pressuring them to spend money on a bottle of champagne, really. And they're, they're in there for longer. In one of the clubs that I think is particularly, is probably the worst club in London, your private dances have to be three minutes. The guy pays £20. £5 of that is the club take as commission, 15 the stripper has. And you have three minutes. So basically you can't relax and give the paying customer a decent dance. Mm. You have to keep, like... And your eye on the time, um, keep watching the security guard who follows you in there and is like, it takes down a note of the time when you came in. And if you go even 10 seconds over the three minutes, you'll be charged for two dances. So it's really not a good exchange. I mean, this is the worst club. There are other clubs where they don't bother with any of that. The last time I was in that awful club, I saw this guy come in who was really drunk. And, I mean, he was totally extorted and the manager ended up marching him in his drunken stupor to the cash point okay let's talk about (laughs) how you should actually behave when you're in a strip club and you are watching a performance because what i've noticed and as i say i've been on stag do's i I wouldn't go to a strip club no disrespect i would never go to a strip club unless i was in a stag do so i'm already a bit drunk i'm going basically against (laughs) my will and i feel awkward so immediately i'm kind of ironizing it i'm suppressing any desire that I'm getting to actually be turned on because I find that awkward with a bunch of blokes that I know yeah. uh, and sort of turning it into a joke. I find the whole thing absolutely horrendous. How should I behave? <laughs> well, there is that group mentality thing. I remember one a dancer, a friend of mine called Cheeky, who was saying that, you know, when it's one guy, it's about you. When it's two guys, it's still about you. Even when it's three, it can be about you. Mm. But when it's more than three, it's about them showing off to their mates. Mm. So then you get all the the put-downs and the comments and, you know. Like what? What do people say? 
uh, fuck off, I'm not tipping you, basically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was one of the things about the audiences, the different kinds of audiences, you know, especially like at Christmas time when you get sort of drunk office groups that come out, especially if they're mixed and you've got some females in there. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes they're all right. You know, sometimes women can be nice. It's it's not, I'm not saying that they're all horrible, <laughs> but you do get this kind of awkwardness, especially if it's an office thing, because they're used to being professional around each other. And you know, when you're in an office, you're quite under manners anyway. Mm. And you have to retain this certain professionalism. But when you're, you know, and then you go into a situation like that and... Either the girls are kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done some pole dancing classes. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a great way to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Or it's kind of like they get annoyed and start, you know, you start getting the cellulite. <laughs> Look at her cellulite. Oh, my God. Her boobs are so fake. In your earshot? Oh, yes, loudly at the front of the stage. How do you respond to that? Just with boredom because it's so typical when we know how the dynamic goes as well mm. when they start that and then obviously this makes the men in the group uncomfortable because they see their women getting a little bit nasty and uncomfortable and everything so then they kind of go they sort of have to reinforce the oh it's okay it's okay we think they're sluts as well oh my god yeah uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so it's like this whole kind of showing off to each other about how it's just hilarious but isn't it awful at the same time and we've all seen it before, and it's like, oh, yeah, here we go. And, and what about the tip situation? <laughs> are you, as soon as that Christmas party comes in, are you thinking dollar signs, or are you thinking, I'm not going to make any money out of these guys, really? You're probably not going to get any private dances, but if you're working in a place with a jug collection, you know they're going to be trouble, so you go up to them, hi, I'm next on stage, pounding the jug, thank you, thank you. And then as soon as any of them start, it's like, security, now. Because you know they're going to be trouble. Security knows they're going to be trouble. So are, the, are you saying genuinely the mixed crowd of Christmas party guests are worse than the snacks? Oh, Chris, we call them the Christmas cunts. <laughs> they, are, they are a known group to right. all strippers. They are awful. <laughs> and who are the best then? Well, you know, stag parties can be fun. Sometimes it depends kind of where you are on their route, like how drunk they are. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but they can it's be always really, the end of the route for us. They can be really fun sometimes. If the SAG know. party starts in the strip club, I imagine that is more fun. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, like the Christmas cunts, you do have this thing where in the group and, you know, with the whole group dynamics things, people feel very awkward. Mm. But you will get one or two who have been really awkward or really gobby from that group who a couple of weeks later will come in on their own and be really nice and have private dances. Interesting. And it's purely embarrassment in the group. And presumably you, you based your routines around, at some point, you've been going for such a long time, but you based your routines at some point around some sensual feeling, right? Something, something erotic. Yeah. Do you still feel that when you perform now or are you sort of going through the motions because you've done it so much? No, there are, there are some shocking moments where... Yes, you, you will see a really gorgeous guy in the crowd and it's, you don't oh. quite know what to do with yourself um. <laughs> to the point where it's embarrassing. You're supposed to have the upper hand over the guys. Yeah. You're not supposed to be like all kind of, oh my gosh, butterflies and vulnerability. <laughs> so if, if this was, was a rom-com at this I, point, I, I then he'd in, get a private dance with you and you'd somehow want to go on a date with him. Has that ever happened? Yes, I was in the White Horse um, a few years ago and... I saw this guy on the other side of the bar and nearly fell over. He was absolutely gorgeous. 
and it was my turn to jug next. So it was like, oh, God, I'm really embarrassed now. I'm really awkward. So I jugged everyone else apart from him. I didn't want to speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he came up to me and went, why, why didn't you take it from me? Here. Yeah. Why are you <laughs> playing hard to get when you have no clothes on at all? <laughs> I had some clothes on. Mm-hmm. Skin, skimpy clothes on. They went up on the stage and performed and was like, oh, my God. I don't know. I was conscious I didn't want it to show that I was, like, really attracted to someone in the crowd. Then I went up to him and went, you have really nice eyes, and walked away really awkwardly. And he came up to me and he was like, can I buy you a drink? Why are you being weird? And then started talking to him and I just fancied him so much. And um, I was being so friendly with him. I took him over to the table where all the other dancers were sitting. And because I was being so friendly and familiar, everyone thought I'd known him for years and he was a mate who'd Mm. just come in for a drink. So everyone was chatting to him and like being really friendly and open and (laughs) just talking to him like a friend. And he's like, we must have gone away thinking, wow, that was great. (laughs) Presumably, though, you're not supposed to have relationships with your clients. No, you're not. But I did ask him out. And did it happen? Yes. And did you have a relationship? Yes. (laughs) And did it work? No, because of me. I felt bad and uncomfortable. Sometimes I imagine it's because the man just can't deal with the fact that their girlfriend's a stripper. Yeah. Has that happened to you too? Yes. Then you're in a position, I guess, we've got to choose, haven't you? Yeah. And presumably you've chosen to carry on being a stripper. Well, I haven't been in the club now for about six weeks. And I'm madly in love with someone. And I know he's not going to deal with dating a stripper he doesn't know you're a stripper he does but he's already made it clear that he doesn't like it oh no he's not like been mean or laid down any rules or anything like that i just know he's not going to be comfortable with it so what are you going to do i am very much in love so it's making me feel weird when i'm private dancing for other guys is it yeah even though you know it's your job and it's something you've been doing for such and a long time. And I can totally detach. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a good skill <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you were <laughs> to have for my boyfriend, you know. <laughs> if you were an estate agent, you know, and you were looking for a house with your boyfriend, you wouldn't be thinking when you were showing other people around another house, oh, well, you know, I should be saving this for him. I know, but it's changing me, so... It's changing the way you dance. Yeah, yeah, it's changing me. I don't mind. Oh, stage performance, fine, which is why I want to keep doing things with East London Stripper Collective because it's all about the stage shows and you get to do your pole and your costume and make it very creative like it used to be. But the actual intimacy of a private dance, yeah, I can't really do it at the moment. And therefore I'm making really shit money, <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> Also, I guess there comes a point where you don't want to be drinking that much. Everyone's buying you drinks. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're in clubs that have VIPs mm. and you have to get the man in there and you have to make him buy champagne and the place is open till five, six o'clock in the morning, people are drinking so much to get through and a little bit of something else to keep you awake and alert until 6am and mm. I just don't want to do that. And presumably the client's if they've just bought a £100 bottle of champagne, they're going to offer you a glass of it as well, if it's just the of two course. of you. And you can't really say no, of can course. you? Of <laughs> course. You can make sure you drink slightly slower than them yeah. and keep topping them up. But So we're kind, of, we're kind of heading towards the question of retirement here. Have you got no. an age in mind where you think, right, enough? Probably now. Are you announcing your retirement on the podcast? Am I announcing my <laughs> retirement? I guess so. I mean, it's just... It's really not the industry that I used to know and love. 
What I really loved about it, that it was an art form and it was performance. We get really elaborate with costumes and bras. Go to Primark, buy like a bra for a fiver and stick crystals on it and tassels and glitter. And, you know, you've got yourself a fantastic outfit. And now places are opening that don't even have a stage. If you literally did stop working this year and, you know, went on to do something else, obviously you're, you're young, also, but in I'm this context... I'm not making the same kind of money that I used to. I don't think anyone is. Uh-huh. You know, even people I know who are like, you know, really, really amazing dancers, like the proper princess dancers, you know, where everything, they're absolutely perfect and the men just go mad in the head over them. Mm. Even they, they're having real problems making money in the big clubs as well. Because it's become more professionalised, because the club want to take more money. The house fees are too high, the commission is ridiculous, there's more dancers than men there, you have to be really aggressive. People don't have the same amount of money to throw around that they used to have. They're being a lot more cautious with their money. But if you did stop, what would you miss? Performing and also the banter, changing room banter, Hmm. is brilliant. (laughs) Oh, and one final thought. Uh, Edie. Yes. Not your real name, I'm guessing. No. You don't have to tell me your real name, but if I was in a club and I said exactly that to you, would you tell me your real name? No, i tell you my backup name. What's your backup every- name? <laughs> Kate. Kate. And people go, oh yeah, you look like the princess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's convincing, I can see you as a Kate. Yes, and uh, my Venezuelan friend Cheeky, she's like, people go, go on, tell us your real name. It's not really Cheeky, is it? And she's like, no, it's Maria. (laughs) (laughs) E-delicious there. Can't believe that's not her real name. Uh, If you'd like to know more about her, then follow her on Twitter at E-D-L-A-M-O-R. That's E-D-I-E-L-A-M-O-R-T. And if you want to find the East London Stripper Collective online, because really we only just scratch the surface of what they do, then just search for E-L-S-C Forever on Facebook. Coming up next, Alex Fox will be here to answer your sex questions in the foxhole. But first, a word from our sponsors. And uh, I've come to meet our sponsor in human form this week. Uh, It's Ben. Ben, what is the company called? It's called baldheadliberationfront.com. Baldheadliberationfront.com. That's right. You're the founder of the website. Tell us about it. It's a uh, website that's been set up. I'm very conscious as growing up as a bald-headed person myself that there was nothing out there that really targeted directly to men who were follically more awesome than people with a full head of hair. This is all about celebrating life with no hair. Totally right. All too often you sit and watch the telly, there's all these sorts of stuff out there for men with hairstyles going off at oblique angles, with kind of the chiselled jaw, and you know, it's all about saying, actually no, bold is beautiful, bold is sexy, and you know, making sure that you can make the most of that. What are the big sellers? Um, something called Headblade, which is imported directly from the US. It's essentially, Headblade? Actually, it's a cross between a, a toy car and a razor. <laughs> and also on the back of it, it's also got kind of a rubber type finger hole. So it's, it's kind of like an all in one fluid motion as you're shaving your hair. At the Bald Head Liberation Front, who are your bald icons? Two obvious ones that immediately spring to mind is you've got you know, your big film stars, you know, you've got your Vin Diesel's mm. and your Bruce Willis's. No, say, no room for Terry Nutkins? Well, I suppose. Sinead O'Connor? Sinead O'Connor. We always say that it's, it's just as applicable to women as it is to men. You could always go for him as it's skin from Skunk and Nancy, the yes. uh, lead singer. She, she was bald I as well. I thing for her, weirdly. Oh, she's a good-looking lady. Did, yeah. She's a good-looking lady. I suppose the other end of the scale, you've also got uh, Dr. Evil, but... A customer's a customer. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. indeed. He's got a bald cat as well. I suppose you could use it on, 
that. Uh, if you want to perfect the Doctor Evil look, uh, or just the Bruce Willis, then go to our sponsors for the week, baldheadliberationfront.com. Sexy, everything about you so sexy is not our theme music for this section. It's the Foxhole with Alex Fox. Hello, Alex. Well, that is going straight on my sex Spotify playlist. Oh, I'd make it a ringtone if I were you. Um, But we are here to talk about sex. Your questions. Uh, First, though, Alex, what have you been up to this week? I have actually been campaigning for Unicode, who are the people who decide what emojis uh, come as standard on all of our smartphones and devices, to introduce a condom emoji to our pictorial language. That's interesting because a condom is a thing that you uh, sheath upon a thing that isn't depicted as an emoji in itself. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is there's an aubergine, <laughs> but there isn't a stiffy one. Well, that's kind of the point. The idea is that lots and lots of young people already talk about sex, but in sort of vague, illustrative terms using peaches and, and eggplants and, yes. and fingers and splashy water. and They're already talking about sex, but they're not doing so very clearly. And there's no symbol or no even vague way of talking about safer sex. Uh, And the argument is that it should be as easy as possible to talk very, very clearly and in a relaxed, calm, casual way about using condoms. But is there a need for more frank sexual emoji in the first place, not just about the safe sex iconography, but actually ways in which people can very specifically say, this is the thing I want to do, these are the things I have, or does that then become a little too frank? You have to remember that people under the legal age of consent also use emojis. So anything depicted has to be um, palatable in that sense. Uh, in fact, the original design for the condom emoji showed it unrolled and phallic. Mm. It's now been put in a tiny little purple packet. I reckon the simpler and the easier we can make it for someone to suggest condom use, the more likely that conversation is to, co- to occur. But then shouldn't that conversation be extended? Shouldn't the whole Karma Sutra actually be available in emoji form so you can say, do you fancy doing this tonight? Question. I think by that point you've probably moved past the little pictures and you should actually just chat to each other, but it's it's a good icebreaker. We need no icebreakers here, we just go straight for the jugular, and so it is this week with this question from Sam, uh, who has been in touch to say, uh, I've been in a relationship with my girlfriend now for about a year. We're both 28. She's always been into bondage and BDSM. Uh, BDSM, that's something something and sadomasochism. What's the BD? Bondage, dominance, sadism and masochism. Thank you. Uh, It's not really my thing, says Sam, but I don't mind doing it as she enjoys it. She's submissive and it's mostly been fairly mild stuff like bondage and spanking and some wax play. And now that's not sex in Madame Tussauds, is it? No, and it's not having hair removed either, although I do know people that get bits of themselves waxed because they're into pain. No, it's um, pouring hot wax onto somebody uh, so that, that, that there's an element of temperature play there. Like, that, like we did heat. in the sex boutique last week. Yes, although it can be more intense than that. If you're into S&M, can't you can be get any sexier to, than that, let me tell you, you. You can get candles that burn at higher temperature. Plus, you can then scrape off the wax with a knife or a blade to make it even more exciting. Okay. Uh, He continues, I've actually enjoyed this kind of thing as I can see the pleasure that she gets from it. Yeah, I can see that would be enjoyable. Uh, Recently, though, she has been wanting me to go further. She's asked me to choke her and I don't feel comfortable doing that. I tried it and it was just unsettling and it was definitely not 
a turn on. She also wants me to hit her, not just spanking, and I really just don't think I can do it. The other stuff feels like fun, but this just feels like abuse, even if she is consenting to it. Plus, if I properly hit her and choke her, I'd be worried others would see marks and then jump to conclusions. I know that I would. I don't want something like this to end our relationship. I love her, but I just worry we're not sexually compatible. This is fascinating, isn't it? Because almost always when you get an email like this, especially from the man, it's, I want to try something that's a bit fetishy and I want to persuade my partner to do it. This is the opposite. This is uh, his partner, in this case, a lady saying, do this to me and, and he doesn't want to. It's also somebody saying, I want you to dominate me. Mm. I think often when conversations are had about S&M and about consent, um, frequently the chat is all about making sure that the person who is being done to, the submissive, is all right with being spanked or being choked or having wax dripped on them. But it's really, really important that the person doing those things, the person in charge, also feels entirely comfortable. Consent has to apply to both people or all partners in a relationship. This is really, really important. And I do feel for this guy because it sounds like a very tricky situation. But maybe we should talk about the choking as well, because we always talk poking. I don't think we've just dis- we've uh, discussed choking before. I and think it's, that's right. Yes, it's it's a very specific. Um, it's quite a specific request. How would you feel if someone asked you to choke them? Well, you know, it's funny, isn't it? With all of these things, there's the kind of slightly vanilla, let's play around with this concept but not take it too far end of things, which I could imagine getting involved with. You know, there's put my hands around my neck and let's pretend. Then there's actually physically restraining someone so they can't breathe. And at that point, I think I'd feel very uncomfortable as well. You'd lose your bottle when it comes to the throttle. <laughs> well, there are reasons why someone would potentially enjoy being choked. Um, there is that idea of being dominated and the, that kind of sense of danger uh, as well. But um, in terms of biology, uh, if you uh, cut off the oxygen to the brain, I think there's, it's called the carotid arteries that are either side of the... The neck. I'm actually squeezing my own neck here, so I might sound a little bit strained. Uh, if you cut off the oxygen supply to the brain by uh, putting pressure on the carotid arteries either side of the neck, yeah. then it can create this effect of um, dizziness. Um, almost, some people report almost a kind of hallucinogenic state. Um, and not only does that intensify any feelings going on in your genitals, but it can actually be quite addictive. So I'd be interested in how much pressure this chap's partner is putting on him to do this because if it's something that she's really really into Mm. um and she's been practicing it for a long time with other people there might actually be a slightly addictive uh, element going on there which is how michael hutchins ended himself isn't it he did it on his own Uh, that practice is called auto erotic asphyxiation Mm -hmm. if someone else is doing it to you then it's just erotic asphyxiation in fact there's a, a nickname for people who enjoy it which is Gaspers or Gaspers if you're northern. Gasper the the kinky ghost. So okay, but not so you don't want to do it too hard or you'll turn into a ghost because yes. you'll die. It In, is dangerous. Yeah. No, I, I followed the logic there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you've sort of explained why someone might be into it, but how realistic is it as an expectation to ask your partner to do it? This is certainly towards the more extreme end of S and M. 
And it is a must underline the fact that if this is something that carries a very real risk of harm. Mm. So you need to know what you're doing as the dominant person. And I would argue as well that the submissive person needs to know their own limits. We come back round to this every single time that we discuss something along these lines. But this person and his partner are going to have to sit down and have a proper conversation. I'd want to know her reasoning behind her desires. On a practical level, it might be quite useful for this guy to ask his, his partner what aspect of choking appeals to her most. Because if it's the dominant aspect, then they can they can they might be able to explore other things that make him feel a bit more comfortable. If it's the idea of the oxygen supply being cut off that gives her a very physical feeling of excitement and titillation, then something he might want to try is just commanding her to hold her breath. That way, he doesn't have to put his hands round her neck and do that that action that makes him feel quite unpleasant. Mm. Um, but it's still got that dominating aspect to it. If he tells her very strictly that she must hold her breath, and perhaps he can count down as well, five, four, three, two, one, before she's allowed to breathe again, there's still an S&M relationship, mm. but it's he's not having to do something that makes him feel grim. Which, okay, yes, deals with the actual physical harm, hands-on, that he's concerned about causing her. But, I mean, what he's saying, as much as anything else, just leaving aside the repercussions of it all, is, you know, it's a bit of a boner killer. It's not my thing. Now, a lot of people say, well, oral sex isn't my thing, but I do that. Or, you know, anal sex isn't my thing, but I do that. But where do you draw the line? Where do you say, actually, it's just just no? It's a tricky one um, between giving something a go and trying to be a keen partner versus forcing yourself to do something that really, really doesn't agree with you. A very well-known sex advisor in the US called Dan Savage coined a term GGG which means good giving and game the idea being that you're good you know you you do your research you try and practice and be great at what you do in bed you're giving so you make sure that you give to your partner as much as you receive and that you game that within reason you will consider the, the kind of things that your partner might want to try but it's within reason being game doesn't mean that you're game for whatever you're told to do by the person that you're with our listener does ask does this mean we're sexually incompatible i can't tell you for sure but that's something you might want to talk about some practical ways that they might approach this if they're determined to stay together and if his female partner says, look, this is a real fetish of mine that I, I really need to satisfy somehow, but I do want to stay with you and maybe we can reach some compromises. Our gent in question might feel better if they actually go and have some lessons together so that he knows how to um, use force with her in a way that's actually safe so he can feel a bit more confident about so that. That seems like a really sensible suggestion, but equally I can imagine myself Googling, you know, BDSM lessons and thinking, well, the kind of people that go to that thing, the other couples that are going to be there, the instructor that's going to be there, will all be based on the foundation that everyone here is really keen on giving this a go, that this is our thing. And, of course, he doesn't feel that way. You would be surprised, actually. I've been to all sorts of workshops and classes, and sometimes the folks that rock up to them are just not the people that you'd expect whatsoever. It tends to be a bit more pricey, but you can have one-on-one lessons with doms and dominatrixes. Um, Another thing that they might want to do if they're in London, or if they can get to London, is go to something like London Alternative Market uh, that does a lot of peer-to-peer teaching. So someone who... um, London Alternative Market is a, a market full of kinky 
bits and bobs where you can go and buy your PVC and your rubber and your, your whips and your paddles and whatnot. But a lot of people manning the stalls are very, very happy to give you some tips on how to use what they're selling. And they often have workshops where people will exchange tips and help each other. The other option is that they agree that if this fetish of hers is something that can only be satisfied by extreme force or, or practicing things like choking that our, our man in, in question doesn't like, then someone else does it. Maybe she goes and hires out. a dom. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, which could be done, I suppose, in his presence, couldn't it? Although he's saying he doesn't get turned on by it, so the chance of him watching someone else doing it to his girlfriend is not going to exactly please him either. Well, they could uh, kind of dip their toes in the water by going to a fetish club. And watching other people do it and, and perhaps indulging a li- in a little bit of play and testing the water. Okay, well, wherever you want to dip your toes or any other part of your anatomy, uh, you can send a question to us and Alex will do her best to answer it. Alex, where should people head? Head on over to Modern Man, that's uk. Click on feedback and send a question my way. Well, that's nearly it for this week's Modern Man. Remember, if you enjoy the show, please rate the show on iTunes. Your stars count. iTunes.com slash M-A-N-N. We now have a Zimbabwean ambassador. It's a joint post. I've appointed Rob and SJ in Harare. Uh, They emailed to say, after substantial negotiations and us both sending you a couple of beers, we're hoping to be able to share the title. That sounds like a reasonable process, chaps. Welcome to the team. Uh, Our theme music is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album. And today, for your listening pleasure, we bring you Matthew and the Atlas. It's called Temple. It's available now on Caroline Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. We wanted to remember everything that we'd forgotten. We wanted to Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.